This is Kate Swoboda, creator of YourCourageousLife.com, director of the Courageous Living Coach Certification at TeamCLCC.com, and author of the book, The Courage Habit, which is available at booksellers and at Amazon. The Your Courageous Life podcast is all about going after what you want and creating and living a more courageous, emotionally resilient life. Might drop a couple of F-bombs, so maybe don't listen with your kids in the backseat of the car. And here we go with today's episode. Hey everybody, it's Kate. Today's podcast episode is going to be pretty different than what it usually is. Usually there's a really specific focused topic that I have a burning desire to say something around, to maybe ask a couple questions around that lead you into a space of thinking about something in your life that's had you stuck and how courage could be applied in that area. Today's episode, however, is going to be me answering interview questions from Tim Ferriss. Not literally from Tim Ferriss, but from his book. Um, I'm a real fan of books, articles, stuff like that, that interview people who are in leadership positions about the habits, the eccentricities, the best ROI for their time or their money. And I'm, I am a big fan, by the way, with any of those interviews um, of take what you like and leave the rest. Like, I don't think it's at all healthy for anybody to listen to what someone else says their answers are and then go, oh, I have to do it exactly that way too. You take what you like, you leave the rest. Often there's some really interesting insights. And I was reading Tim Ferriss's book from a couple of years ago. It came out a couple of years ago called Tribe of Mentors. And there are a series of questions that he asks. And I just, as I was reading the different profiles, because he's interviewed a bunch of different people who are, are coming from all walks of life and giving some really fascinating answers, I thought, what would my answers be? And I, I found that I, I was writing down the answers that, that I would give to these questions. And then I thought, wow, I bet, I bet people who listen to the Your Courageous Life podcast would love to consider for themselves how would I answer this question? So I'm going to read the questions. There are 11 of them. And then I'm going to go through them one by one. And I'm going to share my answer to each question. And the hope is that you will also consider for yourself, how would I answer this question? So here are the questions. One, what is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? Or what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? Two, what purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months or in recent memory? And in Tim Ferriss's case, he really likes to have the person give specifics like a brand or a model or where they found it. Three, how has failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? Do you have a quote unquote favorite failure of yours? Four. If you could have a giant billboard anywhere with anything on it, metaphorically speaking, getting a message out to millions or billions, what would it say and why? It could be a few words, paragraph, could be somebody else's quote. Five, what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? Could be an investment of money, time, energy. Six, what is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? Seven, 
In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Eight, what would you give to a smart, driven college student who is about to enter the quote-unquote real world? What advice should they ignore? Nine, what are bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area of expertise? 10. In the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to, like distractions, invitations? What new realizations and or approaches have helped? Any other tips? And 11. When you feel overwhelmed or unfocused or have lost your focus temporarily, what do you do? So these were the questions that Tim Ferriss asked people, and they're responses formed the entire book, Tribe of Mentors. And I find a lot of the responses really fascinating. And he's interviewed some some really great people or gotten responses from some really great people, people who um, I just find delightful, like, you know, Samin Nosrat, who is the author of uh, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. I hope I'm saying that in the correct order. Had a Netflix special documentary. Like, I just adore her energy. I adore her passion for food. And so to read her answers to those questions, just even if I wouldn't choose all of them for myself, felt really enlivening. So Tribe of Mentors, if you're interested in the book, and I'm going to share some of my answers, not some, all my answers to these questions. And so here goes. We'll start with question one. What is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? Or what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? Okay. And I love a good book recommendation. So I love it when I hear somebody answering this question. So think about this for yourself too. What are the books that have most influenced your life or that you love to give as gifts? Uh, Top of my list has got to be Pema Chodron, When Things Fall Apart. That book... I mean, the title is pretty arresting, right? Instead of seven ways to not have things fall apart or here's the perfect plan so that you always feel like you know what you're doing, which is usually what we see with book titles. Um, When things fall apart, it's, it's so direct, right? Sometimes in life, things just fall apart. And the book is not about how do we climb out of that experience as quickly as possible, The book is about how do we really lean in? And I would say that for every, you know, for those of you who've read my book, The Courage Habit, which is all about, there is no fearless. Fearless is ridiculous as a concept in many ways. Fear is a very normal human experience. You're always going to feel fear as long as you are a growing, changing, shifting human being. The question really is, do you let it stop you? And I feel that When Things Fall Apart was the book that really had me go, oh, (laughs) what am I doing? Trying to like, I don't know, hustle my life into some kind of, uh, paradigm where bad things never happen. Or if they do, I, you know, somehow manage to respond as if I'm enlightened. I mean, it's just, it's lunacy, this become fearless, fight your fear. No, nobody ever gets anywhere that way. And when things fall apart was just such a heart centered book that spoke to that. I also have to say that another book that goes on my list 
And I know some people just absolutely hate this book, but um, it changed my life. Eat, Pray, Love, Elizabeth Gilbert. And the reason it changed my life is because I read it at a time where the only skill set I had was work hard and then work harder. And then if you're still not happy, look around, do better and work harder still. Like that was my skill set. And that's a really valuable skill set to have when survival (laughs) is at stake. But I had no joy. I had no pleasure. I had no fun. And I think I really lived in something of a paradigm of I had to work hard or arrive somewhere before I could have fun. And that book inspired me to go, could I jaunt off to Italy? Because like Italy, you read, eat, pray, love, like Italy sounds pretty damn fun, right? So I basically <laughs> looked around at my life and, and went, if I didn't have to be realistic, if I didn't tell myself that, what would I do? How would I make it happen? I made it happen. I went to Italy uh, for a summer and actually everything that I'm doing from today forward came from that experience, literally. So the book, the business, everything I'm doing came from that experience of deciding that somehow I was not going to try to quote unquote be realistic. I was going to go to Italy. That's what I was doing. And it was amazing and life-changing and uh, turned me on in my life in a way that few other things have. And I look forward to the day when my daughter is old enough that I think I can tolerate a transcontinental flight with her. Um, not cause she's a bad person, of course, but she's very young still. And the idea of being on a plane and jet lagged with a very young child, just, uh, no, not for me. So when she's older, um, I look forward to going back. All right. The second question, what purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months or in recent memory? Okay. My answers one, first of all, technically you could get this for free, but I went ahead and paid the insight timer app, a subscription to the insight timer app. It's a meditation app and daily meditation has been pivotal in my life. And then the other purchase I thought of, you know, it's more like 150, not a hundred, but my, my monthly CrossFit membership, hands down. I mean, I sit here now and I'm, I'm going, I wish that I had known that I was this crazy about CrossFit a decade ago. I wish I had understood this about myself because how many years did I spend hauling myself to the gym and when I was doing triathlon and I was training for half Ironmans, there was a, a distinct sense of pride I had in how hard I was working and how far it was getting me. Um, but it was always work and CrossFit for me is joy and I'm so much stronger and so much more resilient and it doesn't take four hours to ride 50 some odd miles around <laughs> to train for half iron man. I'm not so tired all the time. It's, it's just, I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So think for yourself, what's a purchase that you have made of a hundred dollars or less or circa 100. If we're cheating it a bit, that has most positively impacted your life. Third question, how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite failure 
And so consider that question for yourself. Do you have a favorite failure? Can you think of a failure that ended up being like a, oh, thank God that failed. And I, you know, my answer, I I really feel like I have two. One is what I'm seeing more and more in hindsight is that the timing is always perfect. And I, you know, as a kind of prototypical go-getter can often find myself in a hurry to figure things out or see a result or set myself to a goal and then see the outcome that I want to see that I think would be in alignment with the amount of time and attention and effort that I've put into it. And then if it doesn't happen, then I can go into a space of doubt and questioning myself. Yes, me, the fear expert out questioning myself. This is why the fearless thing, it doesn't work. You put yourself out there. It's vulnerable. You're going to have doubt. You're going to question yourself. And what I'm really coming to see as I get older is that the timing of it all ends up being perfect. So these perceived failures of not hitting an outcome when I had hoped may actually all be about the right timing. And I'm thinking of things like pregnancy. Um, I had been diagnosed with infertility, I did a bunch of fertility treatments, no follicles, no eggs, no nothing. Um, Doctors were basically saying, you know, I'm talking high-level fertility specialist doctors after high-level, very expensive fertility treatments had failed. You know, they're basically saying, I don't think you'll be able to have a baby, so you might, you, you know, you need to start looking at other options. And you know, I was pretty devastated about that. And there's some writing about that on my website. I was completely devastated about that. And so after, I mean, a year, a a long time, what felt like a long time of really trying to get pregnant through all these means and it not happening, I just kind of let go of it completely. And the perfection of how it all worked out is that when I did get pregnant with no medical intervention, by the way, not sure what was going on, that the doctors said every test that they saw indicated my body no longer made follicles, much less, you know, you have to have a follicle in order to grow an egg and you need an egg to have a baby. Um, I'm not sure what was going on, that every test was like really, really bad. Um, And I still got pregnant without medical intervention, but I did. And the timing of it in particular was so perfect because thinking that I was not going to ever get pregnant, I'd kind of given up on the idea. I'd moved on to something else and I was teaching a class that year and the class was going to end in June and I delivered in June. So it was like, I kind of needed to get pregnant right at that moment. If I was going to honor the commitment that I'd made to teach this class. So the timing all ended up perfect. So I'm trying not to look at things as I didn't get what I wanted. It's a failure. I'm trying to look at it as like, okay, it didn't happen on the timetable I'd expected. And I saw that happen by the way, with my book coming out, I saw it happening around public, um, purchasing a house in California, which is it's own little myriad of expensive headaches, meeting the right people at exactly the right time. There are just so many of these little examples. So, um, if I were, you know, being interviewed on this question, uh, on this question, I'd say something along the lines of stop thinking that it's a failure. Maybe it's just not the right time. And then the other thing I was going to point to with this question of a failure 
not paying attention to intuition. And here's something I've learned about myself. See if this is true for you too. My intuition, whenever it says something is not right here, is always correct 100% of the time. Now, sometimes my intuition, the story about what's going on is not correct, right? Like I can have a feeling when I'm interacting with someone like, oh, I, I feel like something's off here. My intuition will tell me that. I might make up the story that they don't like me. The story might not be correct. Something might be off for a totally different reason going on in that person's life. And I'll find that out later usually. But my intuition that something is off is 100% of the time correct. And any time that I go into a space of, oh, well, you know, I must be overthinking it or, oh, you know, there must be, it's a disaster every time, disaster. And it just gets more complicated the longer I try to talk myself out of my intuition. So <laughs> favorite failures include basically any time that I have not listened to my intuition and things just got worse and they got worse and they got worse and they got worse. So consider for yourself, favorite failures would not listening to your intuition be on the list. Number four, if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it be? It would either be stop fighting fear and start practicing courage, aforementioned issue that I have around the idea that we can fight fear and win. It's like fear is a normal human experience. Stop trying to not have it. Instead, look at how to not be stuck by it. So stop fighting fear, start practicing courage, or, and this is going to come up again, get off your phone. Get off your phone. Get off your phone. We are all spending way too much time on our phones and it's making us miserable. All right. Number five, what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? Could be an investment of money, time, energy, etc. Okay. So for me, hands down, it's any workshops I've done, coaching, therapy, anything to have someone else's perspective on the things that were swirling around inside my head. And particular in most recent memory, the thing that felt like a fork in the road of my entire life's experience is a workshop called, and I don't think the title is great, but bear with me here. It's called the Why Have You Come to Earth Workshop. It's put on by Rich and Yvonne Dutra St. John, co-founders of Challenge Day. Um, Challenge Day is the organization that is behind, I mean, they've been on Oprah, they've been all over the place. There was an MTV show made based on their workshops called um, If You Really Knew Me. And Rich and Yvonne are just some of the most lusciously fully alive people I've ever met. If you go to challengeday.org, you can learn about their programs for individuals and families. They don't just work with people in the schools. They also work with individuals and families. And their Why Have You Come to Earth workshop is an eight-day intensive. I'll tell you a little bit about the time in my life when I took this workshop. I, I did it in 2017. 2016 had been a ridiculously difficult year. 
a year that many of us will remember as being capped off by that November day when (laughs) all hope seemed to be lost and we are all still recovering from that election. Um, It was just 2016 was a very difficult year. And by the time I got into 2017, I was just really tired, like not physically tired, but just emotionally tired and things were feeling really meh. And no matter how much I was using any of my own tools with the meh feeling, I just wasn't coming back to a lightness again. And so I talked to my husband and just said, I think I need to do something intensive. And, you know, I kind of look back at that time and I go, you know, if I had done anything really intensive that invested in myself at that time, I think I probably would have gotten a benefit. But of course, Rich and Yvonne, they're such great facilitators and the content of why have you come to earth is so good. So I went in 2017. Everything has felt different since. I went back in 2018 because I was like, hey, let me get more of that. Bring in my whole team uh, to the 2019 workshop. It's only held once a year. So it's pretty freaking amazing. Why have you come to earth? Um, best investment that I can think of of late. So how about you? Best investment you've made time, money, energy. What's that for you? All right. Six, what is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? I don't know about an unusual habit. I feel like that would be an excellent question for my husband who would have some kind of really funny answer that I, you know, I don't even think about, but he's like, oh yeah, that's a really unusual thing you do. It's weird. Um, but I would definitely say that (laughs) an absurd thing that I love. Okay. Here it is. It's absurd. And I, I, it, Yeah. All right. I'll stop trying to explain it. It feels absurd to me. Okay. So Matisse, the painter, there's this painting called Femme au Chapeau. Femme au Chapeau. Horrible French accent there. It means woman with a hat or woman in a hat. And the original of Femme au Chapeau is at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, the SFMOMA. And I live outside of San Francisco And I still remember what it felt like in my soul to stand in front of that painting the first time that I saw it at the MoMA. There's just, I mean, reproductions, let me tell you something, reproductions do not do it justice. There are plenty of them out there. But just to stand in front of that painting at the museum, like like the color there's, there was just something in my heart that saw that painting and went, yes. I mean, there's just so much color. It's, it's, yeah, I can't even put words to it. Right. And perhaps one of the reasons why I love it so much is that the story about the painting was that, you know, this Matisse painted this at a time when the impressionist, the impressionists were sort of coming to be a dominant force in the art world, but they were still considered very scandalous, their use of color, their lack of regard for, for pure form or for realism. And the painting is a painting Matisse did of his wife, Amelie. And reportedly, you know, this is this very colorful painting, but reportedly someone asked Matisse, so what color was she actually wearing? And he just glibly replied, black, of course. 
And I just, there's something very irreverent about that story that I love. So here's the, the absurd thing that I love that takes it a step further in my garage, which we've converted to a home studio. I paint reproductions of Femme Chapeau. I mean, they of course look nothing like the, you know, Matisse originals or anything, but that's what I do just over and over. I'm like the guy in Amelie, the French movie Amelie, who paints the Renoir over and over and over. That's me with Matisse's Femme Chapeau. So there you go. Uh, I feel like I want to have a dinner party with everybody who listens to this. And I want to sit with you at the table and I want to ask each of you these questions. That's really what I want to do right now. Like, wouldn't that be the best dinner party ever to turn to people and ask them these questions? I want to know about you. Like, what is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? Ah, best question. All right. Question seven. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? So think about that for yourself in the last five years. What new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? So for me, it's uh, less time on social media, more time meditating, especially the adoption of a daily practice that I simply do not waver on. And if you look in the YCL archives, you will see another podcast episode that I've devoted to developing a daily practice. And there are a couple times I've talked about a daily practice, but here's where I've arrived. My belief is that if you know there is a daily practice you could do that would fill you up, would fulfill you, would make you happier, would make you feel better about your life, and you don't do it, that is the equivalent of saying when you are hungry oh, hey, there's food right there, but I'm not going to eat it. It just doesn't make any sense. There's, There's something that's clicked for me. I don't mean that as a judgment. I just mean something's clicked for me in my head where it just no longer makes sense to know that a daily practice of meditation could do so many things for stress levels, for immunity, for psychological mindset, for emotional resilience, for feelings of positive self-regard for relationships because you know meditation even has been shown that people who meditate have improved relationships um how how can something have that many benefits and i'm going to go eh, i just don't have the time bullshit of course you have the time everybody has the time it's what are you going to choose are you going to be hungry for something that can make your life so much better and push it away or not And so that's like the new belief slash behavior slash habit that has most improved my life, having a daily practice. All right, question eight. What advice would you give to a smart, driven college student about to enter the quote unquote real world? What advice should they ignore? And when I was thinking about this question, I was going, okay, so maybe my advice would be don't go to college. I don't know. But we have to assume with this question that they are already a college student. So they're already bought into college. Let's say, you know, they're graduating. They're about to enter the quote unquote real world. What advice should they, would you give? What advice should they ignore? And I felt like there were a couple things that came up for me. One, get off your phone. (laughs) 
I, I know I, I realize I sound like, like a, I don't know, like a anti-phone school marm or something. And I have a phone. Okay. It's just like this addiction to phones, I think is really draining people of life. And there's this way in which people are walking around like, Oh, I, I can't help it. I'm it's out of control. No, it's not. It's not out of control. There's an off switch. You could let it drain down the battery. You do not have to recharge that phone. You are in control here. You, this is something I swear, I think within a week of sustained attention, people could really train themselves out of. So get off your phone. That's advice number one that I'd give. Um, two would be do what you love and look for the opportunities to cross-pollinate. This concept of cross-pollinating is has always been one that's fascinated me. Like cross-pollination is like, how do we combine yoga and food? These two seemingly unrelated disciplines that could have something very much in common with one another. Like, what is the yoga of food? What is the the food nourishment of yoga? I don't I'm just like riffing here, but that's just an example. How do you cross-pollinate? So like learn about things outside your field. You know, that's the advice I'd give to a a senior graduating from college. You know, follow whimsy because that's how you become an interesting person. And I think, too, there's something that I need to say around self-responsibility and not ever becoming entitled. And I I guess part of the reason I say that is I used to be a college professor and I just saw so many instances of so many overwhelming instances. I mean, 80% of the time, I'd probably say, like 80% of the time, what I saw when I was a college professor was, was if someone didn't turn in work that was up to the correct standard, they would go, well, but I worked really hard on that. And it's like, just because you worked hard on it doesn't mean you're entitled to something here. And hey, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm all about, I get it, right? You know, I just said something earlier in this podcast about failure and timing and my own attachment to getting a result just because I worked hard for it. I realize that that is something that is really normal. I think what I'm saying is that what I see a lot of in people who are in their early 20s is a lot of not really taking that beat to go, hey, just because I worked hard doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to get it. And that doesn't mean there's something wrong with me and it doesn't mean I should give up. But there's a lot of time that gets spent in that space of it, it wasn't fair that I didn't get it because I worked really hard for it. That, um, yeah, I personally just find really off-putting when I hear it, even though I understand it from a very human place. And I think that it holds people back. I think that anytime I catch myself in that kind of mentality, it's like, okay, sitting in that mentality is just a waste of time. I, I could be doing so many other things. I could be thinking about so many other things that would be of so much more benefit if I dropped this idea that because I worked hard, I should have gotten the thing I wanted. So those are mine. And then bad, bad advice that they should ignore. Um, I've always been really allergic to setting like five and 10 year goals. And I know that's really common advice. Like, where do you want to be in 10 years? Like if you asked me that right now, I'm like, fuck if I know, (laughs) 
like, I, I mean, I have some ideas, right? Have, you know, some, some certain cornerstones I want to be in place. Like I want to still be happily married and I want to still have my lovely daughter and she'll be older. And I hope to still have a career that lights me up and, um, that the, the, the passion and the enthusiasm for the work doesn't dim, but in terms of specific outcomes, where do I want to be in 10 years? Yeah, it just feels really stressful to have to try to figure that out. And geez, how would I have known that at 21 or 22 graduating from college? It's like, eh, take the pressure off. You don't have to know. Go back to the, the learn things outside your field, follow whimsy, become an interesting person. That's, I mean, maybe that's what I want to be in 10 years. I just want to you know, be a more interesting person. I'm hoping that I'm at least a little bit interesting now and I'm hoping to be more interesting because I've, you know, been out there going into life all the way, 100% fully alive. So how about you? What advice would you give to somebody just about to graduate from college? What advice would you tell them to ignore? All right. Question nine, we're almost done here. What are bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area of expertise? What are bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area of expertise? Okay, so fighting fear as a solution to feeling less of it. I mean, really, anytime you hear anything about trying to silence your fear, silence the inner critic, that's just abuse. So... It's just such a a monumental waste of time to try to fight something that is a really normal human response to being outside your comfort zone. So anything that's about trying to get fear to fuck off or tell it to shut up or any of that stuff, that that would be the big thing. And there's a lot of it out there in the coaching, self-help, behavioral science profession, you know. You need to ignore the voices of fear and move on and, you know, like just tell fear to shut up, you know, stuff like that. And that just all amounts to white knuckling your way through fear. So what's your profession? What's your area of expertise? And what do you think the bad recommendations are? Number 10, in the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to distractions, invitations, etc.? What new realizations and or approaches helped any other tips? Okay, so this one I had to think about for a moment because a lot of times I feel pretty good about saying no, but I I realize there's one area that I have actually needed to work on improving. I need to say no to the impulse to say something in any conversation that's just going to be a fight. So it's not so much how do I say no to outside stuff. It's more getting better at saying no to the impulse to say something when it's just going to be a fight. So I think that's in tandem with getting off of social media more. Um, by getting off of social media more, by the way, like it's, it's part of it's about being really clear about your purpose for social media. I'm really clear. My purpose for social media is I want to connect with you guys. That's it. So what I mean by being on it less is that I'm, I'm pretty righteous and opinionated. And when I see someone posting something that is a really flagrant, one-sided misinterpretation of information, like getting super reductive about a complex issue, 
especially when it involves a political policy of some kind that would, you know, systemically (laughs) harm or oppress others. Like I want to say something. I want to say something, but more and more when I see those things, I'm just like, no, there's no point. Like no one's looking to have their mind changed. I don't need the stress. I have better things to do with my time. I mean, I can show people so many data points about how, (laughs) you know, we need to stop eating meat like as a world right now. Now, if CO2 collection and reappropriation gets better, this might change. If the 100 companies that did the most pollution were to stop doing that, that could change. If we have some breakthrough in technology, that could change. But right now, what I'm seeing a lot of is people pointing their fingers going, Trump, you know, he dismantled the EPA. It's so awful, da, da, da but they won't do the one thing that they could do because they can't change Trump and they can't change his political policy overnight and they can't change the 100 companies who are polluting the most overnight. But one thing you can change is if you know that meat is a hugely inefficient waste of of nutrition, you know, the number of people we can feed in a world where people go hungry cultivating meat versus grain versus vegetable versus, you know, so it's like, it's, it's, I can't even go down the, the, the path and the CO2 that is generated, the methane that is generated from these cows that, that weigh hundreds of pounds. I can show you so many articles that will say, stop eating meat. It is a great way to help with climate change and people will still dig their heels in and, I don't know. <laughs> I don't get it. Um, I think meat is delicious, by the way. I think it tastes wonderful. It's my fave. I miss it. And I have been, you know, veganish, plant based with very, very few minor exceptions here and there for the last several years. And I do triathlons and CrossFit and all these things. And um, I just, you know, I firmly believe all these things. Anyway, now I'm now I'm over here saying all this. And, um, you know, when I see something online where someone's, you know, furious about the environment and political policy, and I'm sitting here and I'm just like, yeah, you know, getting rid of straws, plastic straws, very good thing to do. Better thing to do would be like, let's cut it with the meat, but uh, you know, it's like, it's a whole thing. Or when someone throws stones about someone else's social justice, but they aren't looking at their own, you know, when they're, when they're throwing stones at somebody else saying you could be doing more with your privilege, but they aren't looking at their own privilege, ah, totally get triggered, very self-righteous, very opinionated. And it's just like, there is no point to doing that. (laughs) There's just no point. Like it it's, here's what I want to do now. Um, what I try to do now, um, First of all, I understand no one's looking to have their mind changed. No one's waking up in the morning going, hey, I'd like to tell you something, and I'd like to see if you'll change my mind. Uh, Again, more respect for the fact that I don't need the stress of disagreeing with someone who's only probably going to dig in further. And combining that with, I used to think in a very binary way about this, like I was either saying all the things about something I believed in or none of it. Now it's more like, I'll post the article 
about the thousands of scientists who have agreed that if we would all stop eating meat, beef in particular, we could do a lot for climate change. But like, I'm not going to add the essay. You know, normally I'd uh, do like a couple paragraphs really talking about why this issue is important to me. And then if somebody commented, maybe I'd do a rebuttal. And it's just like, no, not doing that anymore. Like I'm posting the article. You can read it if you want and you can think about it from there. And that's what I'm going to do. And it definitely is more efficient than spending a lot of time on social media. And, you know, other than when I get feisty and opinionated here on this podcast right now, (laughs) I don't feel the same surge of adrenaline trying to go like, please, people, pay attention to what you're doing. Have consciousness. Stop pointing fingers. Look at yourself. And now we arrive at uh, question 11. which is kind of funny. Uh, When you feel overwhelmed or unfocused or have lost your focus temporarily, what do you do? Here's what I do. I either lean in harder to the overwhelm because overwhelm I think is just fear. So I either lean in harder and really go, okay, fear, you're showing up. Let's do this. What's at the bottom of this? What's really going on here? What is this overwhelm really about? And I do that because I don't want to be pinned down by a story. I think of it like the, I don't know, parable vignette. I don't know. I don't even remember where I first heard this, but it's, it's the thing about if you're walking through the forest and you see something coiled on the trail up ahead of you, it's really important that your fear kicks in and you go, whoa, snake. But if you realize that what's coiled up ahead of you is not a snake, but a rope, you can't go back to seeing the snake. And I remember hearing that the first time and it being really profound because it was like, okay, when I'm feeling really overwhelmed, unfocused, a lot of fear, let me try to see where this snake is really a rope. Because once I get out from under my story that something's wrong or I'm going to fail or I'm really scared or this or that, you know, once I get out from under that, then I won't be able to go back to seeing the fear again. I'll just see, okay, it's a rope. And that might help me to, to move forward. And then if I'm not leaning in harder, I I'm totally backing off. So it's, you know, meditation, big thing, um, breathing, taking a walk. All of those are really, really helpful. Um, or maybe calling up a friend and going, Hey, can we grab some dinner? Let's just go out to dinner. Let me get out of my usual environment. Let me do something that's just completely the antithesis of what I, what I normally would be doing right now. So those are the questions. I'm going to read them one more time. I would love for you to consider which ones you like. (laughs) because they're really fun questions, aren't they? Um, What is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why, or the books that have greatly influenced your life? What purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months or in recent memory? How has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? Do you have a favorite failure of yours? If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? What is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? What advice would you give to a smart, driven college student about to enter the real world and what should they ignore? What are bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area of expertise? 
In the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to and what new realizations or approaches have helped? And when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused or have lost your focus temporarily, what do you do? Those are the questions from Tribe of Mentors, Tim Ferriss's book. A couple years old now, but of course you can pick up a copy anywhere and see what so many other people said. A lot of really great responses. Loved it. All right, that's today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. You know you can continue the work and the fun if you want to. Head on over to yourcourageouslife.com forward slash begin and become a Your Courageous Life subscriber because as soon as you sign up, you get access to an entire library of worksheets and audios and other bonuses. And of course, you'll be receiving more courage in your inbox and who wouldn't love that? You can learn more about the Courageous Living Coach Certification at teamclcc.com. You can get The Courage Habit at your local bookseller, on Amazon, wherever you like. We can even connect on social media. I'm on Facebook at Your Courageous Life. So look for facebook.com forward slash Your Courageous Life. And I'm on Instagram as Kate Courageous. And I'd love to connect with you on Instagram. So here's to you using these courageous tools in your life and creating a real ripple effect of good. And again, thanks so much for listening. I love it that you're here.